Hello and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five on Finiston Farm. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now and come back when you've read it. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Famous Five podcast, Five on Finiston Farm, the eat-along episode. <gasps> the eat-along, wonderful, wonderful. As promised last time. I'm excited to eat along. I've got every every snack and dinner in the world here <laughs> with me, but only in my imagination. There's no way I could eat in one, sort of one hour is how long we usually take, isn't it? In one hour, what they eat in their entire two-week holiday. And also, I'm not a big fan of listening to people eat when they're podcasting, so we won't be eating anything. It's just for the listeners to eat along with. Yes, I really don't like listening to people eat either. It's horrible. I don't even like listening to people eat in real life. You know, when people chew gum, it bothers me. It's just mm. too too much, too much chewing, too much mouth sounds. <laughs> I, I start I like I feel like my amount of patience that I have for a day it just gets starts getting depleted really fast if someone's chewing gum near me too many mouth sounds yeah I've got a quota of mouth sounds that I can listen to each day and if I listen to more it just makes me feel very very bothered and if people chew gum they use up the mouth soundometer just too fast so luckily we're not going to be doing that Ooh. But you can join in at the start of every chapter that they eat in. I will let you know what you need to enjoy this Famous Five eat-along. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. They don't eat any fudge in this book, which is significant because I made some fudge. And I actually have more fudge than I know what to do with. Because when you make just one batch, that's too much for two people to eat. Yes. Yeah, so I've taken a leaf out of your book and frozen some, and actually I was took about a leaf to out say. of your book by making it in the first place, so thank you for the inspo. And is it nice? Yes, it is. Fantastic. Yeah, though I did, I made a different recipe. We've been making, we've been making easy fudge on uh, Katie and Jen's fudge making podcast, fudge making <laughs> famous five podcast, um, but I meant to get regular um, condensed milk. And mm. I accidentally picked up the caramel one, Ooh. carnation caramel. So I made a recipe from the carnation website, but it doesn't set very solidly. And the reviews said that. And I thought, oh, if I add some icing sugar, it will be okay. But I didn't add enough icing sugar. But it's, um, if anyone wants to make it at home, it's really nice. It's salted caramel fudge. I put in half a spoon of salt, as it said, and I can't taste it at all. So you might want more salt. I do. And it's just, it's literally a tin of the caramel and 400 grams of white chocolate. Just melt it, stir it together, bosh it in a pan, in the fridge, and then eat. Then just eat it. <laughs> You're listening to The Fudge Podcast. <laughs> Where we just talk about the fudge we ate. Yeah, I feel bad I haven't had any fudge. Well, the fudge you made, I ate the peppermint one you made. That was amazing. I'm going to make that next. I made some gingerbread fudge as well one Christmas. That was nice. I made some pink fudge once, but I can't remember what it was that made it pink. Obviously colouring, but I mean, was there a flavour to it? Who knows? I think I made lemon as well. But I wouldn't have made strawberry because I'm not a big strawberry fan. No, also strawberry fudge sounds a bit strange to me. Yeah, and we should really stop talking about fudge now. What? It's only been four and a half minutes of fudge talk. (laughs) No, you're right. You're right. Do you know what? I think I've been feeling a bit, um, I don't know, a bit a bit strange today. Um, I feel like the last time we recorded was approximately 100 years ago, but it was actually only a month. Um, yeah. But it's, I think it's just been sort of a long month. And now it's July. You know what we usually do at the start of the podcast is ask how each other are and have been so how have you been um i've been okay thank you i've been to wales with the family alice has been in the sea for the first time that was very exciting she was very brave i thought she was going to burst into tears because who wants to be plunged into icy cold Mm. welsh ocean 
And she didn't. She loved it. She thought it was hilarious. Oh, good. And she likes the sand. She did try and eat the sandcastle that I made. So we had to constantly stop her from eating the sand. Mm, she needs to eat it once so that she realises it's awful. Oh, no, she did eat it once and she went back for more. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad that you were there to step in. <laughs> yeah, you can't eat too much sand. No, not really. Not really. No. That sounds like, hey, you can't eat too much sand. Yeah. As if, like, there's... <laughs> you can have... No, it's you can have too much of a good thing. And in this case, the good thing is sand, which is not a good thing, so... That's very complicated, but yes. Oh, no. Stop eating sand. <laughs> do not if, eat, do not eat if sand. If you do one thing after listening to this podcast and it's not make fudge, it should be stop eating sand. Yes. And your good self? As I said, it's been a hundred years since we last spoke. I believe I went to Italy. I hadn't done that before we... Before we last spoke, had I? No, you hadn't. Um, yeah, so I went to Italy. We went to Venice and Verona, and it was wonderful. I loved it. I would definitely go back. Um, I don't like being in too much sunlight, as I, I, just, I don't tan. Um, I just burn. So the the best thing to do is just avoid, just avoid the sun like a vampire. Um, but Venice was great for that because. It's um it's all pedestrianised, which is also great. Don't have to worry about which way to look when crossing the road because there aren't any roads. And um the buildings are all quite tall and the streets are very narrow. So when you're walking around in the day, you're mostly in the shade, which is wonderful. And this is very on trend for the Famous Five. I love holidays where there are really nice things to eat, especially sweet things. I ate so much gelato, so much, like every day, sometimes twice a day. It was brilliant. Would recommend. So now we should talk about the Famous Five. Oh, okay. Well, it seems yeah. fairly dull after everything that we've discussed. Fudge, the shade. I think we've done quite well, actually, because we've talked about summer holidays and eating, which is pretty much entirely the theme of this book. Actually, yeah, that's very on-brand, so... Uh... Oh, what on earth? Let's kick off, shall we, with chapter one. Oh, should we read the synopsis from the back of the book first? Yes, we probably should, because that's what we do. I'm going to read you mine first, because I think mine is shorter than yours. Mine says, Five on Finiston Farm, their 18th exciting adventure. There's a ruined castle on Finiston Farm, but only the dungeons remain, and nobody knows where they are. The famous five are determined to find them, and whatever is hidden in them. But they're not alone. Ooh. I added the ghost noise in myself. Good good ghost noise. So mine is, The famous five are staying at Finiston Farm for the holidays, where the ruins of an old castle once lay. The castle burnt down years ago, but what happened to the dungeons and the cellars underneath? It's time for the five to discover the secrets of the castle, but someone is threatening to beat them to it. Mm. Right, so now let's crack on with chapter one. Okie dokie. And in chapter one, you will need some ice cream and ginger pop. Okay. The boys are hot and tired in Dorset. They do a little summing up of who the characters in The Famous Five are, and they're waiting for Anne and George, who have caught the bus. Doesn't actually explain why they're arriving separately. I thought maybe they were meeting them from school, but it never gets mentioned. It's just the boys have cycled... And the girls are on the bus. It's quite a mysterious book and not in the usual sense of Famous Five having a mystery. But there are just lots of, I don't know, bits like that where, I don't, I don't know, I got a sort of strange feeling from this book. I wasn't sure what kind of mood Ina Blyton was in when she wrote it. Or at points I sort of wondered if she did even write this one, to be honest. But, <laughs> but yeah. Please continue. That's sort of mystery number one. Why are they meeting up and not together? But it's never resolved. And mystery number two, why is Dick suddenly really mean to the girls? He points out George's spots and bullies Anne for having a ponytail. I know. What was that about? It was usually I really like Dick, but he was just very unpleasant. He was like, um, you know, when they meet sort of a horrible, rude child, which, spoiler, they're going to mm. do very shortly. And that's how that child acts. But that's what Dick was doing. And poor Anne, she's always got to wear her hair down. She's the only one with long hair. And 
they go on and on. It's so hot. It's so hot. It's so hot. And then she just puts her hair up for a bit of air, a bit of breeze on the back of her neck. And Dick is saying a donkey tail would suit you better, Anne. What does that even mean? Please stop talking, Dick. I think he's calling her a donkey, isn't he? Like, you're not sweet enough to be a pony. You must be a donkey. I think what the author, (laughs) Enid Blyton perhaps, is trying to do is show Dick as like the Joker, but actually he's just nasty. Yeah, it's not a joke if, if nobody finds it funny. That's true. Very strange. He makes strange. her feel self-conscious. Poor Anne. Yeah, that's that's not on. I know older brothers like have a dig and everything, but this is like their eighteenth adventure. Mm. Anne is more than a ponytail. <laughs> I like wanting that on a t-shirt. Anne is more than a ponytail. <laughs> the other thing I do want to mention is Anne is always depicted with hair that's just at her ears. I know. So how was she getting that into a ponytail? Oh, good thinking. I was actually thinking that's such an annoying hair length because it's neither here nor there. But yeah, when it's... Oh no, ear length. How do you get that into a ponytail? She could put in a half ponytail. It would only be really tiny as well. Mm. Anyway, uh, let's move on because this is just chapter one. Yeah. And we've had two strange things. The third strange thing is they go to a little shop and are served by a ten-year-old. Oh, I've got another strange thing. Oh, oh God, God, I've got two more strange things. Oh, One's crikey. related to what you said, which is when Timmy eats his ice cream, it slides off the saucer and he has to chase it around the shop. But mm. usually when he has an ice cream, he just eats it in one bite. And I would like to know, Timmy, why the inconsistency? But I won't hold it against him. But my other strange thing is that, and I know that this comes up later as well, because I know that you've, you noted it a bit later, but Julian says, good old Georgina, I'll be glad to see the girls again on the first page of my book. And why is he calling her Georgina? Don't know. Not impressed. Not impressed. I read chapter one and immediately text you saying, chapter one is going to make us really cross. Yeah. and And it has. And it has. So they're now in the shop with the 10-year-old, and this is the moment where you need to eat your ice cream and drink your ginger pop, ginger beer, I don't know if it goes by any other name. And Julian downs his, and I imagine him downing it like a whiskey. <laughs> Absolutely. Like um, like an old western in a bar, you know, the, the barkeep just slides it down and he picks it up and down in one and just chinks it back down on the bar. Yes, but the barkeep is a 10-year-old girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very, very strange. Strange behaviour. Maybe the heat's got to all of them. I think it must have done. The girl tells them to watch out for the Harrys and Grandad at Finiston Farm, but Mrs Philpot, who owns it, is nice. She's then sent to look after the baby, because she can't just have one job, that girl. She's got to have several. Yeah, and also her mother is a bit of a villain here, because... They're interested in talking to Janie and Anne's just asked her a question. And then the mother comes in and says, little gas bag she is. Like really like closing (laughs) it down. Like Janie's going to give some important information. And it's Mm -hmm. not the last we see of the maybe a villain mother. In chapter two, we discover that Anne loves a secondhand shop. Oh, can identify. Too right. We love our charity shops, don't we, Jen? We do. And she likes horse brasses, which doesn't sound right when you say brasses. So how would you say it? Brasses. Yeah, it sounds much better, but I just don't... The northerner in me cannot pronounce it brasses. What is a horse brass? So, you know, decorative um, saddleware and reins, Mm -hmm. and they have little... uh, They're made of metal and they're very decorative sort of... I can't describe it any other way than sort of small shields, very small shields, like smaller than your hand, okay. and they go on the they go on the horse to sort to be decorative. Oh, and Anne loves to look at those, and she'd like to buy one or two. Yeah, I don't know why she must just maybe they're very collectible. I suppose. Uh, okay, this is a better way of describing it. A horse brass is a brass plaque used for the decoration of horse harness gear, especially for shire and parade horses. Uh, yeah, that's what I had pictured from what you'd said. Um, the oh, good. The shires there. 
Oh, good. And they remain a collector's item today. <gasps> Anne was onto something. She was. But you can get lots of really good stuff in charity shops. Oh, you can. I recommend supporting them, including the entire set of Famous Five books, which oh. actually I didn't, I haven't checked that shop recently to see if they're still there. I really hope somebody's bought them. I know. It was all of them for how much? Was it £10? £10, yeah, for 21 Amazing. books. Incredible. That is incredible. Uh, so uh, this second-hand shop is owned by uh, Mr. William Finiston. Mm. Recognise the name. They arrive at the large farm and they meet the Harrys, very strange twins that talk at the same time. They take them to meet Mrs. Philpot, and she tells them that an American and his son are also staying and that the boys may have to share a bedroom with. They say they'd rather sleep in the barn and they go to great lengths to tell Mrs. Philpot that they won't be any trouble and they'll help out. Except Anne calls George Georgina without any correction, and I didn't like that. No, that those were the little things that made me think that it was a ghostwriter, but I don't think Enid Blyton had ghostwriters, did she? Not as far as I know. No. Yeah, that was that was strange, because that that's kind of a regular trope where somebody says Georgina and then... George or someone else says, oh, don't call her Georgina, she doesn't like that. But in this book, they just call her Georgina twice and nobody says anything. Yeah, I mean, the first time, George wasn't there, but even George doesn't scowl or... It's very strange. I get the feeling that perhaps this book didn't go through an editor. Maybe. I think there may have been a few slips of the pen. I can think of one coming up later uh, that maybe didn't get spotted. Perhaps it had to be out very quickly or something i don't know the amount of books that she wrote she was churning them out yeah so, yeah it's crazy right so mrs philpot explains about both twins being harry but surely you don't have the same name exclaimed george well you see explained their mother we called the boy henry and he became harry of course and we called the girl harriet and she calls herself harry for short so they're known as the harrys "'I thought they were both boys,' said Dick in amazement. "'I wouldn't know which is which.' "'Well, they felt they have to be alike,' said Mrs. Philpot. "'And Harry can't have long hair like a girl. "'Harriet had to have shorter hair to be like Harry. "'I very often don't know one from the other myself.' "'Dick grinned. "'Funny how some girls want to be boys,' he said with a sly glance at George, "'who gave him a furious look. "'Oh, well, at least she's she's in there. "'She's inside the weird Georgina bot somewhere.' <laughs> <laughs> So the twins, the Harrys, are cross because they sleep in the barn. And Julian reckons the farmhouse must be very old. Then they see the American boys' room. It's very messy. And then the boys head out to the barn. The American boys' room being messy, that is the first hint we receive that he is not going to be a nice child. Because mm. I don't think anybody's been messy yet in this book. Because everybody takes care of what they have. And, you know, and I mean, just in real life also, that is a good quality. And it's one thing to have your bedroom really messy at home. But when you're on holiday. Yeah. Mm. Staying in somebody else's house. Yeah. Yeah. From like a from a grown up point of view, I think, oh, you know, he's he's just going to be one of those people who's like, oh, well, they're being paid to do it. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, but you could still have some, you know, just some basic consideration for other people but um but from just like a reading the book point of view when we saw that messy bedroom i was like this boy is not gonna be a nice boy <laughs> he's gonna be a bad boy in chapter three to eat along you will need hot scones with butter mm. oh, buns biscuits fruit cake jam plums and tea i love all of those things oh hot scones with butter Julian comments again how old the place is, and they meet Snippet, the twins' poodle, and Nosy, the jackdaw. Snippet is an excellent name. <laughs> Snippet! Snippet! Come here, Snippet! I'm adding it to my list of prospective pet names. Timmy wants to meet Snippet, but the twins don't want him near. They all go into tea and meet Grandad, who is old and angry. But Timmy goes over... But Timmy goes over to him, lays his head on his knee, and calms the old man down. And this, of course, is how we know that old granddad is is actually a goodie, because yep. Timmy, Timmy is just the king of recognising 
if somebody's good or bad. He can see your soul. Yeah, so even though old granddad was going a bit crackers, shouting and yelling, when Timmy put his head on his knee, I was like, oh, granddad's all right, isn't he? <laughs> Later, Snippet sneaks in and also lies by granddad in between Timmy's big paws. And Mr. Philpot, Trevor, arrives. In chapter four, to eat along, you will need lemonade and orangeade. We're getting the idea that the farm is expensive to run and very hard work and the Philpots are struggling. Then we meet Mr. Henning and Junior, the Americans. <laughs> They're both very rude and Junior tries to feed Timmy, who ignores him. And when Junior gives George a dig in the ribs, Timmy growls, frightening him. The twins go to help with the milking. Mrs. Philpot tries to tell Junior not to go. Julian expects Mr. Henning to say something, but he doesn't. So George sends Timmy to stand in front of the door. Eventually, Junior gives up and asks his dad to go on a walk with him. Anne tells Mrs. Philpot to go and have a sit down. She's very frazzled by the whole thing. The boys go and help with the milking, and Anne and George stay to help on in the kitchen. And Anne calls Junior a little beast. Mm. Yeah, after Timmy, Anne's opinion of people... If she thinks you're a beast, you are truly a beast. In chapter five, to eat along, you will need meat pie, stewed plums and cream. In a return to form, Dick's cows did better than Julian's because he sang to them the whole time. Excellent. That's the Dick we know and yes, love. Yes. The farmer says he'll take them all over the farm in the Land Rover the next day. They have a wander around the farm and look at old bits of machinery. They talk about Grandad, who apparently fought a bull and won. Then they head back for supper. They all start yawning and talk about getting up in the morning. They're disgusted to hear Junior likes his breakfast in bed. And George volunteers to take it up the next morning. She says she'll take Mr Hennings too, but Julian forbids it. After all, Julian is aware of the financial benefit of putting up with the Americans for the Philpots. They're out for dinner and they don't get back till late, waking the whole house up when they do. Mm. That reminds me, another thing we find out about Junior being a bad boy, apart from the fact that we've met him and he's horrible, is he doesn't get up in the morning until about nine o'clock. <laughs> Can you imagine? The devil! Can you imagine? <laughs> on holiday. He doesn't get up until nine o'clock. Do you know what time we got up on our holiday? I hope seven o'clock. Nine o'clock. Oh, my gosh. Well, we used to before we had a baby, but yes. Anyway. Nine o'clock. You're... <laughs> you might be a little beast at this rate. I think I probably am. I, no, no, because later we find out some horrible things, which makes me very glad yeah. that the children... Also, for all their charm, the famous five are absolutely mad about <laughs> getting up early every day, and they... There was one book where I think Julian almost had a heart attack because they slept until half past eight and they've been up until like midnight. It's like, cut yourselves a break, you're children, you're allowed to just sleep in. <laughs> in chapter six, to eat along you'll need cold ham, boiled eggs, fruit and coffee. Julian wakes up in the night because of an owl and in a very Anne moment says, I hope he doesn't think my nose is a mouse. Very Annish, wasn't it? Yes. The boys wake up at half past seven and Nosy the Jackdaw steals Dick's watch momentarily. Anne very firmly states that she will take Mr. Henning's tray, which is a bit weird. Yes. I don't think you should send 11 year olds to grown men's bedroom with breakfast. No. Perhaps. And also, I'll just say it now before I forget, but this is another. Thing that could have been a bit of plot but just never gets mentioned again. We never find out what happens. There's no story about her taking the breakfast up to Mr. Henning. And we never find out the story of Grandad fighting the bull and winning. No, just that it happened. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and George is eager to win her bet with Dick, takes Junior's tray. In Junior's room, she whips the bedding off him, spills coffee on him, and opens the curtains wide. Junior hits George and Timmy gets involved, dragging him off the bed and terrifying Junior to the extent he starts crying. Junior threatens to tell and George says Timmy will know if he does and that he'll be bringing his breakfast up every morning. Junior, defeated, says he'll come down for it instead. And with that, George won Dick's pocket knife. Very interesting. 
children gambling against each other. Yeah, and very aggressive. I know we don't like this character, and I know he is a bad character, but we haven't found out the worst of his crimes yet. It's a bit much for a child who all we know so far is he's, well, very spoiled and inconsiderate. Yeah, and it's like sort of spilling hot coffee on him. It's a, it's a bit much, and having him terrorized by Timmy. Um, yeah, I think that's kind <laughs> of borderline yeah, assault. I agree, a bit much, but um, but everybody everybody thinks it's all right. So yeah, so I guess we have we have to go along <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah, mm, <laughs> I know. <not> good, <laughs> but then, but I think it's is it chapter eight. We find out things that would make us absolutely hate him, so we'll yeah. get there. But first, chapter seven. The twins find out about George's little escapade and they laugh. Surprising, the five. The twins say how they hate Junior and all the work their mother has to do. They say Mr. Henning is snooping around the farm looking for old things to buy. The twins reveal which is Harriet and which is Henry. He has a scar on his hand. Mrs. Philpot is delighted to see and hear the twins getting on with other people. They all get to their chores and arrange to go and see Bill the farmhand and his Land Rover. Junior decided he was coming too until Timmy jumped down and he ran away. Bill takes them on a bumpy ride and tells them it could be the finest farm in the country if only Mr. Philpot had the money. In Chapter 8, to eat along you need macaroons, about 47,000, and ice cream. Bill takes him round the farm telling them the names of the fields and there's a shout out to the faraway tree oh. another of Enid Blyton's books because it's faraway field yeah oh I didn't even see that oh lovely thanks for pointing that out he's a very thoughtful and poetic farmhand but he also refers to the shepherd as shepherd as in you'd like shepherd he's been here so long and is so old and he knows every inch of the farm now surely that should be the shepherd or you know John the Shepherd, probably John. <laughs> but it just says you'd like Shepherd. Now, when I'm writing and I haven't decided on a character's name, I write an X. So maybe she went meant to go back to it and write in a name and just put Shepherd as like a placeholder in case he was going to be important later on in the mm. book. And so it just says you'd like Shepherd. Yeah, I thought... Okay, so the shepherd's called Shepherd, and I didn't think more of it. But yeah, you're right. That is, it does seem more like a placeholder, doesn't it? Yeah, because otherwise you'd say you'd like the shepherd. Yeah. Or John the Shepherd. Yeah. Hmm. Shout out to John the Shepherd. Yeah. The Land Rover goes over such bumps that Timmy is shot off the back in what sounds like an awful car accident. But he gets up unscathed and has to leap back on as the car is still moving. The dog is um, invincible. He is invincible. Anne has a a sort of a witchy spiritual moment where she says, I like Bill. He's so, so solid and real. He belongs to the land, just as the land belongs to him. They're one. Um, and then Dick, I mean, he's not being rude here, but he does ruin it just by being so sensible. He says, ah, Anne has discovered what farming really means. I'm... Um, I don't know that he's the authority on that, but okay. But I did like that Anne moment, and she does. She has another one, even better later, where she really does. We had this in an earlier book. I don't know what it is. She has some kind of like spiritual connection to the past, and she like travels through time and is in another world for a moment. That's that's coming. That's coming. So Bill is very real, but she doesn't believe in dogs. No, <laughs> and that is a callback to last episode, Five Get Into a Fix, which I recommend you go and listen to. It's a very long, very funny episode. Mm, it is. The farm has been there for centuries. Bill expresses a dislike for the American, and Anne says she's met heaps of fine American children. Bill tells them all the awful things that Junior does. I tell you, trying to ride on the nervy calves and chasing the hens till they're scared off egg-laying and stoning the ducks poor critters, and slitting sacks of seed just for the fun of seeing it dribble out and waste. Whew, wouldn't I like to shake him till his bones rattled? Yeah, three counts of cruelty to animals. And then the last one is just so horrible. Like, what kind of delinquent does that? 
I'm going to ruin something just for the sake of ruining it. So, yeah, so actually Junior is really horrendous. And it makes them dislike him more than Mm, ever. And it makes the reader feel that they were justified in using Timmy to assault. Too right, those poor animals. I know! They decide to head to the village for something to eat and meet the chatty little girl again. She tells them about Finiston Castle that burnt down so nothing remains. On their way back, Anne and George go into the antique shop, and they bump into Mr. Henning as they do. The old man behind the counter is very cross. He doesn't like his antiques being taken to America. Anne talks very gently to him, and he cheers up and says he's friends with Grandad, and they know all the Finiston tales. Mm. Yes, yes, I'm a descendant of the owners of that castle, you know, the one that burnt down. All the tales I could tell you. And it was just at that moment that the adventure began, the Finiston farm adventure that the five were never to forget. Ooh, sizzle. Ooh. In chapter 9, Mr. Finiston says the castle burnt down in 1192 and accuses them of not knowing about the Normans. And only he and Grandad know where the remaining castle's stones are and they don't want to tell the Americans. He tells them that the wooden oak door is original and he hints that there may be an underground passage from the chapel to the barns. And there were cellars and dungeons, and... Sometimes I wake up in the night and wonder what's underground there. Bones of prisoners, chests of money, things stored away by the lady of the castle. I wake up and wonder. That's wonderful, because the bit I wanted to read my Anne bit is straight after that. Go for it. Anne felt uncomfortable. Poor old man. He lived absolutely in the past. His mind had woven for him a living fantasy, a story that had no certain foundation and no real truth. She was sorry for him. She wished she could go and see the place where the old castle had once stood. It would be overgrown with grass and weeds. Nettles would wave there and poppies dance in the summer. There would probably be nothing at all to show where once a proud castle had stood, its towers high against the sky, flags flying along the battlements. She could almost hear the cries of the enemy galloping up on horseback and the fearful clash of swords. And then she shakes herself and realises she's as bad as him. <laughs> but I just loved that. She's feeling sorry for him for living in the past and then she has a moment where she she's there. And she definitely does that in other books where she imagines things from the past. Yeah, she has a lot of, she has a lot of spiritual connection. I think if they... You know, if they really worked on this, she's probably, you know, some kind of psychic or mm. clairvoyant. But who knows? She can commune with other worlds. <laughs> Anne asks if Mr. Henning knows, and Mr. Finiston says he comes and pesters him and wants to dig the whole place up. The girls leave and are excited to tell the boys in the hope that they might find a clue to what's in the castle's cellars. Now, this is something that I mean to say almost every single time I'm writing notes and I never write it down. In the famous five books, there's an awful lot of one person tells a number of the five a story, then they have to go to the other (laughs) members of the five and tell it them. And sometimes they then have to go to other people and tell it them. There's an awful lot of just passing on information again and again. There (laughs) is, isn't there? I seem to remember in my notes, I always write, the the girls go and tell the boys what they've discovered. The boys can't wait to tell the girls the story. Of... <laughs> that is what it's like, isn't it? Yeah, because always, they always have a bit where they're split up. Mm. And yeah, somebody, they get information somebody and then learns they something and then they can't wait to get back together and tell the others. And sometimes they have to wake them up in the night to tell them and sometimes they wait till the morning. Yes. Um, I love when they leave the shop. Anne says to the man, um, I did want to buy some horse brasses, but I'll come another time. You're upset now. You go and have a rest. <laughs> Bless. Bless. Anne her. is in charge of making adults have a rest. I know. I mean, if they if they drank any water ever, then she also would have told him to, you know, make sure he stays hydrated. But can't ask too much. A little no. rest. That's what you need. Now let's move on to chapter 10, which um, every every now and then I like to point out a, an enjoyable chapter title and this was in, this one is entitled <laughs> quite a bit of shouting <laughs> i wonder what we can expect and if you're eating along get some peas oh i love peas uh, Anne and george head back to the farm and shell some peas 
Julian and Dick are mending hen houses with the Harrys and being annoyed by Nosy the Jackdaw. I have to tell you a story about Jackdaws, and I'm going to do it now. Okay. My dad likes uh, birds, and he can identify birds, and he's got books and things like that. And we were on holiday a couple of years ago, and we were next to a field, and there was a lot of Jackdaws in the field. And I said, oh, Dad, look at all those Jackdaws. And he went, no, no, they're crows. I said, no, they're definitely Jackdaws. They've got that sort of greyish patch on them. Anyway, he looks in his book, and they were jackdaws, and I've never let him forget that I identified the jackdaws, and he didn't. Well done. And so now when we see a jackdaw, I go, oh, Dad, look, a jackdaw. Well done. Thank you, and that is my jackdaw story. That's the, yeah, you need to remember these things. You need to hold this kind of stuff over people forever. Absolutely. Yeah. And I told him that we were doing Five on Finiston Farm this month. I said, and there's a jackdaw in it. So guess what story I'm going to tell? And he just rolled his eyes. Oh. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) At dinner, Mr. Henning asks if he can bring a Mr. Durlston to lunch. He's an antiques expert. Granddaddy's cross. He's nearly 90 and he hates bits of the farm being sold. Mrs. Philpot takes him out of the room because he shouts so much. Sensible Julian changes the conversation to cheer up Mrs. Philpot. The meal was very tense. Timmy didn't like all the quarrelling. George told Julian they had something interesting to share, but Junior overheard, and when the girls went to the hen houses, he followed. Ugh, rude. Chapter 11. Uh, To eat along with this chapter, you will need raspberries. The boys take a break from fixing the hen houses, and with Junior eavesdropping, Anne tells them about Finiston Castle. The boys were very excited to think of cellars and dungeons. They all agreed not to let the Americans know, as he'd dig up the whole farm. Junior was very excited to hear this news and couldn't wait to tell his dad. Just then Timmy, who is seriously failing as a guard dog here, mm-hmm. hears Junior and runs out, but he gets away before he's discovered. They talk about the great oak door again. And they wonder where the castle could be. Julian shares some castle knowledge. You see, the farm's so big, and I suppose it could have been built anywhere on our land. Yes, but probably near the top of a hill, said Julian. Castles used to overlook surrounding land, you know, so that approaching enemies could easily be seen. And then again, George said Mr. Finneson told them that the lady of the castle escaped with her children and took them in safety to the chapel, which wouldn't be very far away. I should guess that the castle site must not be more than a quarter of a mile from the chapel, so that narrows the search down a bit. By the way, we must really look at the chapel. It sounds interesting, even though it's been a storehouse for years. It's good castle knowledge. It is good castle knowledge. Hmm, the chapel would be only about a quarter of a mile from the from the castle site. Apparently so. Hmm. They go and look at the ancient door. In chapter 12, there's more door talk. Grandad's not selling, but Mr. Durlston recommends £5,000, which is so much money. I know. That is a ridiculous amount for this it is. time. Ex- absolutely. The men go to the old chapel and the children follow. They hear Mr. Henning wanting to take it to America and are angry. There's a random shout-out to myxomatosis, the great rabbit disease that wiped out the Finiston Farm rabbits. But Timmy has a good old dig at a rabbit hole anyway and finds an oyster cell and small bones. And once again, Julian is Castleman. but it is something rather exciting said julian i'm pretty sure it's an old kitchen midden a kitchen midden what's on what on earth's that said george oh look timmy's got another mouthful of oyster shells a kitchen midden is what you might call the rubbish heap of the old days explained julian picking up some oyster shells it was often very big when it comprised the rubbish thrown out that should be comprised of shouldn't it Yeah. It was often very big when it comprised of the rubbish thrown out from the large houses. That's what I mean. I don't think an editor went through this. No. Or castles. Things like bones and shells wouldn't rot away like other rubbish, and I do believe we found the kitchen midden of the old castle. My word, what a find. Now we know something very important. Yes, now we know what they were eating. What? said everyone in excitement. Well, we know now that the site of the castle must be somewhere on this slope, said Julian. The kitchen midden was probably not far from its walls. We're on the scent, scouts, we're on the scent. Come on, let's go further on, spread out, examine every inch of the ground. And we know they ate oysters and bones. Well, I I think they probably ate 
what was on the bones rather <laughs> than eating the bones. But, yeah. Um, were you going to say why does he call them scouts? Yeah, hmm. I also don't know that. I mean, it just it's not terminology he's ever really used no. before. Again, another strange thing. In chapter 13, without much trouble, they found the castle site. Then they see Junior, but think he wouldn't know what they'd found. But he does and heads straight to his father. Mr. Henning and Dulston hatch a plan to pay to excavate and a sum for what they find. The Philpots agree. The next morning, enrol the diggers and Junior pops over to gloat. In chapter 14, to eat along, you need some old peppermints. Mm. Julian reckons the secret passage from the castle to the chapel could be visible above the ground, so they walk the path they think it could be. They find nothing. Snippet and Nosy have a tussle, and Nosy disappears down a rabbit hole with Snippet in pursuit. When he emerges, he's carrying a carved dagger, and Nosy has an old ring with a red stone. The burrow must lead to a secret passage, so they decide to dig. As you do. In chapter 15... To eat along, you need lemonade and buns. The boys dig as the others are off helping around the farm. Junior comes to tell them that they can't dig, but they laugh him off. They dig right down and leave Timmy on guard. After their meal, they head into the hole with torches and explore the secret passage. In chapter 16, in the tunnel, they're confused by feathers until they remember Nosy was down there. Seems a moment of stupidity, really. Also, I mean, this... If it wasn't Famous Five... This is practically, at this point, the plot of a horror film. They just, they think there's treasure, they dig a hole, they go down it, they find feathers. But it's just the jackdaw that led them to the treasure in the first place. it's just the nosy is down there. They can hear the drills overhead. They come to the cellars and find an old fallen door that crumbles to dust. Julian admires the architecture, and they look for treasure, and they really find it. Julian finds a suit of armour and kicks it, even though a second later he says how valuable it is. <laughs> that was how he abrased it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Expensive. Boot, boot. They find a chest of gold pieces, jewels, daggers and swords. Then they realise the digging could cave them in and they get out, taking some examples with them to show Mrs. Philpot. In chapter 17, their way out has fallen in. Mm. Well, we can always go back to the cellars and wait for the men to come tomorrow, said George, sounding more cheerful than she felt. How do we know they'll be there tomorrow, said Dick. Henning may have paid them off today, if he's disappointed in his hopes. Don't be such a dismal Jimmy, said George. (laughs) Dismal Jimmy, that's going to enter my lexicon. I like that. And also, why is Dick being a dismal Jimmy? Has something happened to Dick? Has he had a trauma? Has he found out he can't, he's allergic to pickled onions? Oh, poor Dick. I don't know what it is, but something has happened to him to really reverse his personality mm. and make him a dismal Jimmy. Yeah. They're trapped. Timmy trots off down the tunnel and they follow. And there's lots more very claustrophobic stuff, which made me think of Five on a Secret Trail and how we hated it then and we hate it now. I know. Yeah, I I did. I I felt, phew, I didn't I didn't like it when they were trapped down there. They find a trap door and wonder if it's the entrance to the chapel. They can't shift it as it has sacks of grain and fertiliser. But then they hear some of the men working on the farm in the chapel and they shout and hammer to make themselves heard. Even Timmy joins in. Jamie and Bill move some sacks and rescue the five and the twins and they speed away to dinner. Um, I should have said this earlier in the chapter, but it is fine to go in here. But um, as well as Julian's excellent castle knowledge... He also knows a lot about tunnelling because when um when they find out that their little tunnel, the bit they dug, has um caved in, Julian says, "I ought to have thought of this. Any idiot knows that the ground entrances to passages should be strengthened if they're newly dug." <laughs> Any idiot, yeah. Katie. Any idiot. Any idiot. <sighs> he knows a lot. Um. Yeah. So, but anyway, the the peril's over, which is good, and also a bit strange for me, because when they got out and they started to run home to tell their story, I suddenly realised how little of the book there was left, and I thought, oh, that was that was the story. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> now we're just gonna have a few chapters of them of them telling the story, but you know, I thought that it was gonna be. The old classic, they're trapped down there and then the men are down there and maybe like they get tied up. Um, but no, 
That was it. They dug a hole, they went down, they found some treasure, they tried to get out, they were stuck, they found a different way out. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done, friends. In chapter 18, to eat along with this chapter, you need bread and butter, jam, cheese, ginger cake, fruitcake, plums and ham and tea. Sounds like my kind of party. They're made to wash and they tell their story whilst eating. They present Grandad and Mrs. Philpot with the gold and the sword, which Grandad has a good swing of. Mm. Everyone is very happy, especially Grandad, and he's going to give some money to his dear friend, Mr. Finiston. In chapter 19, the children are worried Mrs. Philpot is still going to take the cheque from Mr. Herring. Mr. Herring? <laughs> <laughs> the children are worried Mrs. Philpot will still take the cheque from Mr. Henning. George suggests Mr. Finiston would help them. Grandad has already gone to get him. And Mr. Finiston explains, You won't be allowed to keep all the gold, I'm afraid. There's such a thing as a treasure trove, you know. Some finds go to the crown, and I fear that will be one of them. And the jewellery too, perhaps. But you'll get the value back and the suits of armour, and the swords, you'll be able to make a mint of money on those. Enough for two tractors, said Great Grandad. Enough for a new Land Rover. That one my grandson has, it jolts every bone in my body. Look now, William, we've got to get men digging on this site, uncovering all those cellars. Um, so it's going to be enough for two new tractors and a Land Rover? Surely it's going to be a bit more than two new tractors and a Land Rover. Yes, it is. But like, I think that's to show that they've got, that they're not like... We're going to be rich. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Actually, they just want what's best for the farm. Yeah. Of course. And they've got tidy bedrooms. They're, they're good and sensible. Yeah. Because I was thinking when I read that, you know, they're going to have enough money that they could just gold plate everything. And they're like, oh, do you think we could have a tractor and a Land Rover that doesn't, like, you know, vibrate people's skeletons apart? But it shows that they're good That's people. That's true. Because you know what else? All their bedrooms are tidy. <laughs> I just said that. Did you? Yeah, I did. Oh my gosh, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. That's all right. Great minds. That's why we do a podcast. Yeah, and that's and that's because it is such an indicator of somebody's, you know, morals. Oh no, that means I'm going to hell. <laughs> I'm a naturally you, very untidy person. But if you stayed at someone else's house, you wouldn't just dump all your stuff out and then demand breakfast in bed. No, absolutely not. No, I yeah. would never do that because I'm a good person. I'd only have one tractor. <laughs> and a Land Rover. A small one. A small, and, and used, not a new one. No. Ten years old or Mr. Henning and Dulston plan to cry down their findings so the Philpot take the five grand, which is what they do. But Mr. Philpot refuses the money, returns the first cheque. Mr. Henning gets very angry and has a shouting match with Grandad. And eventually, they pack Mr. Henning and Junior off with a wild sword display from Grandad. Mr. Finiston talks him down and takes him out to the inn. Mrs. Philpot sits down and promptly starts to cry, but she's crying for joy. The famous five are allowed to stay on as friends, not paying guests, and they will be able to see the treasure trove excavated. But as readers... We have to say goodbye to them. The end. And I hope you're feeling very full after eating everything that was in those chapters. I liked this book and I liked it while I was reading it. But it was a bit strange with, you know, I couldn't help but feel it had a ghostwriter vibe for me. And it was just sort of a strange adventure for them because nothing much happened. And I liked it, but still a bit a bit of a weird one it was a bit of an anomaly they kind of just sort of had a holiday almost there wasn't like any faces at the window or any pro really any criminals i mean the hennings weren't nice people and they were about to become criminals sort of but they were at least like paying to excavate and paying they weren't going to nick it yeah, that's true. They were going to con them out of money, but... Yeah, I don't know. Just, um... Yeah, I agree. A very strange one. Yeah. Like, the kind of adventure that a normal normal people would have on holiday. Like, there's just some other guests and you learn mm. a bit about their lives. Hmm. Anything else you want to say about Five on Finiston Farm? Well... You happy with the title? The title really did sum up what happened. The only thing that would make it more specific if it just said 
five on a regular person's two-week holiday at <laughs> <Finistone> Farm. <laughs> So this is the bit where we talk about the TV versions. Now I haven't got any clips to play you this week because I've had some computer issues and I can't do it. But I would say they're both on YouTube. Go and watch them because they're both pretty good. In the 90s version, there's like a whole subplot about Anne and Grandad becoming best friends. Amazing. It is so sweet. It's that really sort of... She just has this affinity with Grandad who sort of takes on the roles of um, Bill, the farmhand as well. Sort of that poetic kind of love of the countryside. Mm-hmm. And Anne's very sweet. And he, she holds his hand at one point because he's Aww. sad. And Anne actually saves them. She doesn't want to go down the tunnel. Fair enough. And there's this amazing shot, long shot, so they're in the distance of Anne running, holding Grandad's hand to try and get him to go to the chapel so they can rescue the others. I don't know how Anne knows that they're trapped, but we know that Anne has sort of an ethereal magic to her. So Yeah, that'll be it. Yeah, but he has to stop to shake his fist at the people digging up the site and then she's like doing big acting as if so like come on but like you don't hear it because it's all all in the distance oh how fun neither episode do the twins very well neither episode has a snippet oh uh the 90s doesn't even have a nosy jackdaw it's timmy who puts his head down a rabbit hole and i kid you not pulls out a large dagger (laughs) and I burst out laughing when I watched that because that was just rather ridiculous. Oh my goodness. Mr. Finiston doesn't exist. Instead, the Philpots are the Finistons, which makes sense to condense it for Mm. TV. It also starts with a medieval lady and two children running up the side of a castle whilst like somebody has got a a medieval torch. Oh, so that's a nice little bit of history. And there's a really fun crossover in that the actor who plays Grandad, mm-hmm. Walter Sparrow, played the part of the convict in Five Get Into Trouble in the 1970s version oh of the gosh, Famous Five. Do you remember the convict who is hidden behind a secret wall in the big house where Aggie oh, is yeah. the housekeeper? Yeah, him, he plays that, that oh, convict. Oh, wow. In the 70s, and then Grandad in That's the 90s. Really he he was also Ben Weatherstaff in The Secret Garden. Walter Sparrow got so many credits on IMDb. How fun. Look him up. Yeah, bless him. Um, In the 70s version, again, I think it's a pretty easy story to follow, actually, because, like you say, not a lot mm. happens. So they're probably the most faithful to the book mr finiston is in his nice little antique shop Anne is very um very sweet to mrs philpot and to mr finiston but also there's this brilliant bit where julian holds a gate open and me and my brother used to point this out every time and i'd completely forgotten until i watched it today and so julian holds the gate open and the kid the children are obviously improvising because george is like thank you julian and dick goes through and he's like thank you and then Anne just walks through doesn't even look oh at him gosh. and considering she's like usually the most polite of all of them it used to make us laugh when we were That's kids funny. and seeing it again i did burst out laughing and five on finiston farm has been the first famous five episode that my daughter alice has Aww. watched and she liked it when Timmy barked because she was looking for a dog because she loves dogs. Aww. So I would definitely say go and watch both versions. Okay. Yeah. Although they don't nail the twins properly. They're, they're both Harriets have long hair. Oh. Um, they're never referred to as the Harrys. And in the 70s one, they talk at the same time a little bit, but they don't at all in the 90s. It's very strange. Oh. Oh, well. So there you go. We'll never see them again. That's my summary of the TV version. That's good, thank you. So what have we learnt from Five on Finiston Farm? I'd like to say that I feel like we could have a bigger section of what didn't we Mm, learn. Actually, yeah. I.e. 
yeah, what things never was suggested but didn't happen. Such as, we never heard any stories from Shepherd. if that is. <laughs> Probably name. John. Mm. No, we never got to Shepherd. We never found out why the girls arrived separately and the boys cycled. Although, I think we should mention that at the start, it does say they're in Dorset. Um, oh, that's true. It's rare that you actually get a specific place in the country, but uh, does say Dorset this time. Granddad fighting a bull and winning. Mm. I'm still waiting. To and hear. all the stories Mr. Finiston promised about the farm, not just it burning down. Yeah. And everything that Janie had to say before her mum made her go and look after the baby. And everything they found under Finiston Farm and how much money they actually got from it and whether Julian should have kicked that <laughs> suit of armour or not. Yes. Mr. Finiston's like... Well, it should be worth a lot of money, but there's a huge dent in it. It seems like somebody must have kicked it at some point, and Julian's just looking sheepish in the back. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that was that was most of the mysteries. Of course, um, what cold drink do they have at the farm? Is it lemonade or is it orangeade? Mm. And we learnt what horse brass is. Oh, we did, yeah. We learnt a lot about castles. That's true. Kitchen middens, how mm-hmm. far away the chapel is. Yeah. And um, about how you should always... Well, now I've forgotten what Julian said. S- strengthen, strengthen. Any idiot knows you have to <laughs> strengthen a freshly dug tunnel. So, yes, yeah, so actually, so we learned a lot. So I've got one more, because mm. when they're looking at the treasure and they wonder if it's gold, Julian says it is because gold never tarnishes. Oh, that's true. Yes, we've learned some we've learned some really interesting things actually. Mm-hmm. Like a little history lesson. And we It's been a strange learned... old book, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I never knew Five on Finiston Farm was such a strange one. And we need to choose a hero of it. I need a hero. Of the book. Yes. <laughs> is I... that our is that our jingle? Yeah. <laughs> Eighteen yeah. books in with three more to go. That's our jingle. Yes. Oh, well. It's, it's never too late. I wasn't sure who to choose for the hero. By the end of it, I sort of felt like I couldn't really think of anything exceptional any of the children had had. But I know that you had a different opinion, which I'm going to like. Yes. My idea was, because we sort of, we'd gone down a little bit of a different path with hero, because we've got to a stage with the five where... The things that they do, we're so used to them now, they're not necessarily heroic. You know, before we might have thought, well, somebody doing something like that is heroic, but actually that's kind of just what that person does. But I thought about Anne for being really firm with Mrs. Philpot about helping, making sure she has a cup of tea and a sit down, and Mm -hmm. for sticking up for other Americans, as if to say, it's not, you know, I think it's twice or three times in the book she says, I've known lots of nice Americans. Yes. And she's yeah. also so nice to Mr. Finiston. And if she hadn't have been nice to Mr. Finiston, he wouldn't have told them the story about the castle. So none of it would have happened. That's true. So I'm saying... Yeah, without the first story, what did they do? The hero of the book is Anne. I agree. I agree. And that actually is only the second book that she's been the hero of. It makes sort hmm. of sense, though. She deserved it. What can we expect next time? Well, Jen, Mm -hmm. it's the man we've all been waiting for. The man, the myth, the legend that is Jeremiah Boogle. Jeremiah Boogle. Oh, my God. I really hope he doesn't let you down. As long as he's not like, you know, Shepherd, where someone says, oh, you should ask old Jeremiah Boogle about this, and then we never meet him. I need to meet Jeremiah Boogle. Can I just tell you that chapter 11 of book 19 is entitled Jeremiah Boogle. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. I'm going to read this one really early. Really ahead of time. (laughs) Oh, lovely. Right. Uh, I think 
with that, we can uh, say goodbye and goodnight and see you next time. Yeah, see you next time. If you would like to contact us to tell us your thoughts or feelings about this book or any any Famous Five book, um, you can find us on Twitter. We are at FamousFivePod. You can send us an email, which is famousfivepod at gmail.com. I am hashtag Team George. I'm hashtag Team Anne. And if you wouldn't mind, just for the last few books, it would be lovely if you could pop onto iTunes and give us some stars, perhaps five, as it's the famous five, and perhaps a little review. I mean, potentially we've only got three more months to go and we'd really like to hear that you've enjoyed it because we've had so much fun doing it yeah yeah we have so yeah please do um leave us a review and let us know what you think we love reading them we love it and with that oh and actually if you've enjoyed the eat along aspect of this book i am considering doing it for the last three books because i think it's been quite fun i loved it Yes? Okay, we'll do it then. Yes. Woohoo. Yeah, so on that note. Until next time. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Until next time, don't be a dismal Jimmy. (laughs) And remember to strengthen (laughs) any freshly dug tunnels. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. And please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye. Bye.